Welcome, and thanks for listening to Cherry Beckert's Government and Public Sector Podcast Series. In each episode, we hear from the best in the business on the latest challenges, trends, and opportunities affecting the government and public sector. I'm Christian Fjellgraf, leader of Cherry Beckert's Government and Public Sector Industry Team. I hope you enjoy, and thank you for joining us. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining Scott and I as we continue to tackle new GASB accounting pronouncements. Uh, we have another special guest joining us today to cover GASB 101. Uh, once again, my name is Danny Martinez, and I lead Cherry Beckert's National Government and Public Sector Accounting Advisory Group. We provide government accounting assistance in a variety of ways to help government accounting and finance uh, departments move from always working on urgent tasks to working on the more important tasks uh, for their constituents. Scott, will you please reintroduce yourself? Sure. My name is Scott Anderson, and I have been with Cherry Beckert since it was Cherry Beckert in Holland, um, almost 19 years now, and I've spent most of my uh, career in the government and public sector practice. Um, currently based in Raleigh, spent some time in our Tampa office, and then spent some time up in Connecticut at the Gatsby as a practice fellow, and happy to be back um, serving clients, um, helping them implement new accounting uh, pronouncements. Thank you, sir. And our special guest, Anthony Walsh, out of our Tampa office. Uh, thank you for joining. Will you please introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Anthony Walsh. I'm based here in our Central Florida practices, uh, working exclusively with uh, government sector clients in the uh, audit and assurance service line. Perfect. So as I mentioned up top, we're going to be covering GASB 101 today. Uh, so, Anthony, can you kick us off with what GASB 101 is and when it's effective? Yeah, so GASB 101 uh, deals with compensated absences. It's going to update the guidance um, from way back in 1992, uh, GASB 16, which in it introduced the concept of, of compensated absences. Um, the goal is to align the treatment of paid leave benefits um, for employees across different governmental entities. Um, it'll be effective for fiscal years starting after December 15th, 2023. And of course, the GASB encourages early adoption. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And Scott, can you help us by giving us what the definition is of a compensated absence? Sure. Uh, compensated absence is an accounting term. Uh, it's not a new accounting term. Uh, Anthony mentioned GASB 16 was the original guidance, and uh, GASB 16 provided a very simple definition of compensated absence, um, which is an absence for which an employee will be paid, such as vacation, sick, or sabbatical. So GASB 101 also provides a definition, uh, and its definition is simultaneously more specific and less specific. <clears throat> more specific as is to the manner in which employees are paid, but less specific in it that it doesn't identify different types of leave. So GASB 101 definition acknowledges that in many cases, employees aren't simply paid when they are absent, but they are sometimes paid uh, for not using the absence. And sometimes the payment is in a non-cash settlement uh, into a post-employment plan. Um, so I think it's obvious from the definition that through this statement, the GASB is trying to address an employment environment that is more complex than what existed in the early 90s. Perfect. Yeah, like you, you all mentioned, you're going back to 1992 and the types uh, of leave uh, and the types of compensated absences that governments uh, are 
offering to the, their employees uh, has changed as well. And so one of the things that we like to do on the advisory side is we're, we're working through implementation, we're building out an implementation roadmap. And usually one of the first things is to gain an understanding of uh, the entirety of what we're dealing with. So, so to get a better understanding for uh, completeness um, of all of the types of, in this case, benefits that um, an employer, uh, a government employer could be giving to their employees. So Anthony, can you give us some types of compensated absences that are common in government? Absolutely. So like Scott mentioned, vacation and sick leave has pretty much been the dominant form for ever, um, even back in the last 10 years that I've been working. Um, in that amount of time, I've seen that kind of morph out. Um, so I've seen some governments convert to a, just a PTO bank, if you will, that's both vacation and sick together, not separate times. Of course, that would be qualified um, as well as, you know, GASB 101's definition includes things like holidays, parental leave, sabbaticals, military leave. One of the more interesting ones I've come across uh, in working in government here in Florida is paid birthdays. So some of the smaller municipalities still offer a birthday day off to, to their employees. And um, I've mostly seen employees cash that one out, but um, that would still be something that you'd have to include in your calculation every year because everyone has a birthday every year, so. Yeah, one of the things that we're noticing, especially in like the large metropolitan governments, is you you find maybe something a little bit more creative, you know, with the the types of benefit packages uh, that they're offering uh, their employees and different kind of random uh, types of of leave that they're that they're offering. And so, Scott, after we do this work and we gather, okay, this is this is everything that's being offered. Um, can you help us understand a little bit more about? Okay, what does that mean in relation to the accounting treatment for the different types of leave? Sure. Um, I like to always compare this with the old guidance. I think it's helpful in understanding um, how to do this, how to implement the, the standards. So GASB 16 was a very, was a rules-based approach. And you have a rules-based versus principles-based. GASB 16 was rules-based, which makes sense because at the time there were only three different types of leave. If you got vacation, this is how you account for it. If you got sick, this is how you account for it. If you have sabbatical, this is how you account for it. And that was easy when that's all the situations that existed. And then as we've gotten more leave, it's been necessary to move to a more principle-based approach, which is what we're seeing in GASB 101. Um, and so there are three recognition criteria that you must address um, to determine how to account for or how to measure the leave. Um, first, the leave is attributable to services already rendered. In other words, this is an exchange transaction. Services are provided by an employee, and this compensated absence is, is provided in return um, as part of that uh, part of their their compensation. Uh, the second uh, criterion is the leave accumulates, as opposed to a use it or lose it policy. If it if it accumulates and it's available to be used uh, beyond the financial reporting period. Um, that's the second criterion. Uh, the third is that the leave is more likely than not to be used for time off, paid out, or settled through non-cash means. So there we've got a, a um, probability assessment that has to be performed to determine if it's if it's recognizable as a liability. Thanks. And so one of the things that you didn't mention there as a as a criteria is this idea of vesting. And I think if it, even if governments are going to go into 101, they might be looking, well, what, 
where does it talk about vesting? Because they, they might be kind of used to uh, using that as part of the evaluation. Can you uh, just drive home that point of how the evaluation and the recognition uh, and measurement is different um, in Gatsby 101 compared to thinking about, oh, does uh, does this leave vest? Sure. And if if I had to tell you one major change in the guidance, it would be vesting because um, Gatsby 16, if you have sick leave and it does not vest, meaning it does not get paid out upon separation of service, then you do not accrue it at all ever. Uh, in this case, vesting is not a recognition criterion, but it is still a consideration. So just because an employee can lose all of that time when they quit or are terminated, uh, does not mean it's not a liability as of the end of the year. So when looking at concept statement four, the definition of liability, a present obligation to sacrifice resources, even if they lose it years later when they are terminated, if they um, are able to use it in the future, if it accumulates beyond the fiscal year, then you would um, record it as library, a liability based on the more likely than not um, uh, threshold. So. Vesting certainly is a consideration in determining more likely than not, but it is a not a recognition criterion. It's not as black or white as it as it used to be. Hey, Anthony, I'm going to turn back to you. So Scott, there he just mentioned, uh, you know, more likely than not, a lot of our government listeners have been kind of living in this world of reasonable certainty lately with Gatsby 87 and Gatsby 96. Uh, so can you spend a minute, you know, kind of talking about? The different terms that Gatsby uses uh, for pro for probability and how you know more likely than not compares to reasonable certainty, um, and think that would be helpful for our listeners. Sure. So the authoritative literature provides uh, several terms as far as the degrees of likelihood, and they start with the the least likely and go to the most likely. So remote, reasonably possible, more likely than not, probable, and reasonably certain. Um, more likely than not uh, really means more than a 50% chance of happening. So it's still somewhere there in the middle between reasonably certain, which would be, while not really quantifiable, something that is very unlikely to not happen. And yeah, it's a double negative, but you know, it, it's going to happen is the idea behind reasonably certain uh, versus more likely than not, which is it's probably going to happen. It's, it's more likely to happen than it wouldn't. Um, and they're, you know, of course, vague with those definitions of, of what those mean. But um, ultimately, the idea being that um, here it's to give the, the government some flexibility in that recognition versus waiting until something has already transpired to record the liability. Thanks. Yeah, one of the ways I heard people describe more likely than not is 50 percent in a feather. So just barely tipping over that that the 50 percent uh threshold scott impact uh what type of impact do you see this having uh, on governments uh, there are some governments that may not see any impact right if you have one of those employment policies where sick leave is paid out um a lot of the criteria even though it's principles based it kind of follows what gasby 16 said so it wasn't intended to set the world on fire. Um, governments will see an impact though when they have those sick leave um, um, policies where it, they're all non-vested. Um, by the way, the only reason why vested was a criterion with GASB 16 was because the GASB 
was concerned that records had not been maintained, that governments did not have the sufficient records to be able to account for it. So this time of, of this time around, when they uh, were deliberating on vesting, uh, that was no longer a concern. That's why it's in here. So governments should have all the information they need. This is not intended to be a big lift as far as coming up with a liability other than that probability assessment. Um, but it's just now requires um, the the amount to be accrued. I've seen many disclosures of non-vested sick leave where the disclosure itself uh, discloses the amount that would be disclosed, right? Or would be reported and it's mm -hmm. just not reported now, it's just required to be reported. So I don't think this will um, be, a, be a huge lift for many governments. Other governments, they may have some work to do to figure out their, their policies and how um, this should be reflected on the, uh, the financial statements. Gotcha. Yeah, with, with you know, with all implementations, you're you're going to spend a little bit of time the first year just getting your handle around what you have out there. But I was listening to um, a Gatsby presentation a few weeks ago by uh, from Alan Skelton, uh, Gatsby, and he was saying the areas in terms of financial statement impact that might have the biggest uh, biggest change in terms of presentation on financial statements would be if you're dealing with sick or sabbatical. I think were the two categories where he said maybe from a uh, financial perspective that could have the biggest impact. So we like to end these podcasts uh, asking our guests for their one takeaway. So what is the one takeaway that our listeners should have related to GASB 101? So I'm going to go ahead and start with Anthony here. Can you give us one takeaway that you have uh, for GASB 101? Yeah, one thing I think we actually maybe didn't mention is that um, in this instance, Gatsby's not just handing down more guidance and, and trying to make more work for everyone. They actually took a little bit away and said, okay, as far as disclosure goes, you don't have to report uh, the gross annual increases and decreases anymore. Now you can just report the net annual change in this liability. And so I think that's you know a positive thing to take away from, from this implementation of the standard. Great, Scott, can I have your final takeaway? So I was actually going to say something similar. If anybody needed any evidence as to how much the GASB cared about preparers and wanted to make life easier for preparers, you have no further to go than GASB 101. Um, they do help with disclosures a little bit. Um, and the other thing they do, as I mentioned, this is a principle-based approach, uh, but then a couple of tricky scenarios where maybe it wouldn't arrive at a consistent answer. For example, um, uh, unlimited leave or holiday pay, how, how would you apply those types of leave to the criterion? And you may apply to the criterion and come up with the right answer, a consistent answer, but the Gatsby recognized that there was going to be a disparity in, in opinions. And so in order to help preparers out, they apply these exceptions. In these scenarios, this is how you should do it. You shouldn't uh, record it until the, the leave commences or until it is used. And I think that's also very helpful in applying this to, to more difficult types of leave. Great, thank you. I'll, I'll just go ahead and throw in a quick takeaway is that you, know, you don't have to go at this alone. The, for our group, the our government public sector accounting advisory group, spent a lot of time thinking about these things in terms of how you would uh, fully implement something like uh, GASB 101, and we'd be happy to, you know, to assist your government any way that we can. Uh, thank you again, uh, Scott and Anthony, for your time today. Uh, thank you all as well for listening. Uh, you can find our podcast on GASB 100. It should be right before this uh, on your feed, wherever you get your podcasts. 
as well as an article and webinars on GASB 100 and 101 on Cherry Beckert's website. Uh, we should have a podcast coming out as well in on GASB 102 uh, here in the near future. If you have any questions related to our GASB as a service accounting advisory assistance and how we can help, you can email me at danny.martinez at cbh.com or Scott Anderson at sanderson at cbh.com. And you can reach out to Anthony for any of your audit needs at anthony.walsh at cbh.com. See you again next time. This is Christian again. I hope you enjoyed this episode and look forward to our next one. Don't forget to subscribe.